Bible study. It's good to see everybody tonight. Glad you're here. Going to take a few moments to pray and ask God's blessing on our time, and then we'll get started with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for just uh, your presence. We thank you, God, for your power. We thank you that you send your anointing, and we ask that you would teach us tonight. I pray that we'd have open hearts and minds and ears, and just be ready to receive what you want to say. And I pray, God, that you'd challenge us tonight and that we'd be open to that kind of a challenge. Uh, not set in our ways, but really set on hearing from you, set on allowing you to speak truth to us, set on allowing you to maybe challenge some of the ways that we think or challenge some of the ways that we see things so that we can make some decisions about changing our mind and changing the way we are going to choose to uh, see and define things in our lives. So, Father, I pray tonight that uh, the challenge would be there. I pray that we would accept that. And I just ask you, God, that we would allow you to uh, really move in our hearts, move in our lives by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that he would bring us to places of change. I pray that he'd bring us to places where, God, we can see things a new way. We give you thanks tonight for just who you are. We give you thanks for your love. We give you thanks for your patience. We give you thanks, God, for your grace in our lives. We ask that you be glorified in what we're doing here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, you open up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Mark chapter 12. Uh, if you need a Bible, feel free to pull one off the table. Uh, we have some Bibles out, ready for your use, or a digital version of your choice. Mark chapter 12. And I need a volunteer to read verse 34. But before you do, I may ask you to read some other verses too. So decide wisely. Yeah. Mark 12, 34. All right, so now tell us what he's t responding to. Just go up a few verses and read those. All right, thank you. And so Jesus responded to that. Uh, he was asked the question. Now understand that the scribes and the Pharisees were uh, actually asking Jesus questions in order to try to trip him up because they didn't like him. Uh, they were trying to discredit him, and so they would ask him questions to see if they could trip him up somehow, to see if they could uh, he'd answer in a way that they could use against him. And so... These occasions would happen every now and then, and so this is one of those occasions where a scribe 
came up to him and said, hey, uh, you know, and asked him this question. So Jesus answered, and he had to answer and say, well, well said. But understand why Jesus was speaking to him and saying, well, you're not very far from the kingdom. Because of what, the way he responded to Jesus' response was this, that he understood something that Jesus was saying. He understood that what Jesus was saying was that what goes on inside of you is far more important, far more important than your religious expressions. Because if you read what he says there, he said that this is all what happens in your heart, and what's happening in your heart, what's happening inside of you, is more important than all the sacrifices that you would ever make. That's what the scribe responded with. And so Jesus responded to that. He said, all right, yeah. You got an understanding here. You've you've taken a step to where you've understood that what's going on inside of you is that much more important than anything you're going to do on the outside, as far as the sacrifices and religious requirements of the law. He's like you're not far from the kingdom. So that was his statement to it. Now, interestingly, uh, I've, I used to do a series of teachings. On when Jesus talked about what's inside of you is more important than what's outside of you. And it used to drive religious people crazy. I mean, to the point, almost insanity, where I just get up and I would speak on, it might could have been a retreat situation, could have been a series that I was doing at a church or whatever. I used to travel around doing that kind of stuff. And I would speak on this whole idea that what goes on inside of you is what's important. And, and Jesus talked about that in a few different places. But, you know, he talked about how, you know, the Pharisees were like whitewashed sepulchers. They looked great on the outside, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. That was one of them. Or if you have a pot and you want to wash the pot, wash the inside of the pot, and then the outside will be clean also, is what he described that as. So that was another teaching. And, and the whole idea behind this and in another place, he's talking about how it's not what enters into a man that defiles a man. You follow me on all these? But what proceeds from his heart is what defiles him. And so you look at those teachings and, and begin to understand that what's going on in us is so much more important. What's happening in our hearts is so much more important. Like that last one, I can remember a woman that had known me for 20 years at the time was very upset. I mean, she knew me, she knew my ministry, she knew uh, the stuff that, the places I'd been, the stuff that I had done. I had had a personal impact on her family. I mean, she knew all those things about me. And yeah, I did this teaching on this. It's like, well, it's not what goes into you that's going to defile you, it's what comes out of you. I mean, that seems like a simple concept until you begin to think about what does that really mean? Because what that really means is that all of the things that we are told, and I'm saying we in kind of this generic way of religious people or people that have a faith, we're told these are the things you can't do. Like when I first became a Christian, there are all this stuff I couldn't do. And, and there was a pamphlet that was at the church, and if you read the pamphlet, it said, how to become a member of the church, that particular church I was a part of. And part of the pamphlet had to do with all the stuff you couldn't do. Like back then, they were all concerned about us frequency, you know, being frequent at movie theaters. Can't do that. No, you, you don't even think about going to a movie theater. You can rent a video because they had re video rentals back then. You can rent a video, but you can't go to a movie theater. Can't listen to certain kinds of music. All right? Can't do that. There were, there was, there's all kinds of stuff you couldn't do. And so, you know, there was a list probably this long on a pamphlet. I mean, you, I don't know how many were on there, 20 things or something. And all this stuff. And a lot of it had to do with, like the two things I just mentioned, had to do with what goes into us. So in other words, they're very concerned about not watching movies because there's things in movies that may defile you, is what the, the teaching was. And they had this saying that they would use within the church. It would be like, garbage in, garbage out. That was the saying. And so the idea behind it was like, okay, so we're going to keep you from these things so that you don't get defiled. Well, what Jesus taught was defilement doesn't come from those things. Defilement comes from your heart. 
And it kind of explains why certain people have sensitivities to certain things, but other people don't. Now, if you think about it, it's like, I don't like horror movies. Simple example. I do not like horror movies. But I know people that watch horror movies and, and are entertained by them, and they really enjoy them. I mean, other believers that, that really enjoy horror movies. I can't stand horror movies. But there's something in me that's different than what's in them. And because there's something in me that's different than what's in them, and I'm not even going to try to identify that. I'm not sure what that would be. But they're not sensitive to those kind of things. They're just not. I am. And so I have to make a big boy decision when it comes to if I'm going to go to the movie theater, I'm going to watch something on video or whatever. I'm not going to watch a horror movie. Why? Because I have a weakness and a sensitivity to that. And I'm not going to tell you not to watch a horror movie because I don't know what's inside of you concerning that. And I'm not going to judge the guy that is watching the horror movie because he's doing fine with it. You kind of follow what I'm saying? Okay, so all those things, they kind of add up to this idea that it's not as easy as just making a list of stuff not to do. You know, I like listening to certain kinds of music where, you know, being a member of that church way back in whenever that was, 1983 or whenever that four, whenever that was, that they didn't want me listening to. But I'd never had a problem with it. It, it never concerned me. Like I, you know, I, I, I can listen to whatever I'm going to listen to. But some people can't. And so I may make a decision that if I'm around a person I know sense of that, I don't listen to that music. That simple as that, just for their sake. But the idea behind it isn't that I need a pamphlet to tell me not to do that. I, I can be sensitive enough and care enough about somebody else that maybe I just won't do that. Or maybe someone cares about me enough not to surprise me with a horror movie for my birthday. Maybe they do care about me enough that they're not going to do that. Thank you. And so those are the kind of things that begin to drive some people crazy, especially when they've been brought up within a certain structure of this is right and this is wrong. Like maybe they had a different pamphlet when they were first believers that said they couldn't do certain things. Like maybe in their pamphlet it said, you know, it could have been back in the 1930s when they said, okay, well, women can't wear pants. Because I've been to churches where women weren't allowed to wear pants. I've preached in churches like that. Now, do I have any problem with that? Not really. You know, I'm not, I, I don't see any problem with pants or, or anything else. Or women had to cover their heads in church. I mean, I preached in churches like that in the 80s. And so every woman in church had a hat on. I kind of like hats. But that doesn't mean I'm going to force that on everybody, Right. Right. And, and so are you, you kind of understanding what I'm saying. There are churches that even when we started here, you know, I have women in leadership in my church. There were guys that really judged me hard because I had women in leadership. Women aren't allowed in leadership, according to them. But I think it's perfectly fine. And, and some of my best leaders have been female. So that's not my thing. So why would I get judged for that? Well, because people like to believe that whatever they think is the way. When it's a way, and it may be something that they need to understand, and it may be something they need to follow, and it may be something that they need to, to have in their lives, but it may not be something that applies or is going to apply to me. And if you kind of understand what I'm saying, you begin to understand why this kind of a, a gray area having to do with what's inside of us makes some people really nervous. It just does. Because they can't see a standard. They want a standard. It's like, it's got to be this way. But it's not that way. And, and maybe it's not going to be that way for anybody else but them. I don't know. I don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. I haven't drank alcohol for over 20 years. But I don't make other people not drink alcohol. You kind of understand what I'm saying? I don't drink alcohol. But people around me drink alcohol. It doesn't bother me. 
And, and people that are nice about it, that know that I don't drink, sometimes will ask me if they don't know me very well, does it bother you if I drink around you? Thank you for asking that. And it doesn't bother me, so it's fine. But I'm not going to judge somebody that does drink if I don't drink. But that's just how it is. And I haven't lived my whole life and I didn't drink. I mean, I used to drink in my, you know, whenever. But I just don't know. But that's between me and God. And that's my decision. It's my life. And it's what I've decided. But I'm not going to apply that to you. And I'm not going to make you somehow conform to whatever my conviction is or whatever's going on inside of me. And so all of those teachings, and this is my point in this, all those teachings made a certain segment of religious people really upset for one reason or another. And a lot of it had to do with them trying to make some kind of sense out of their world and to be comfortable or create something they can be comfortable in. When life really isn't meant to be that comfortable in that way. Life is messy. People, when you get into relationships with people, people do people kind of things all the time. And by that, I mean they do things that are inexplicable. They do things that are rude. They do things that are mean sometimes. They do things you don't like sometimes. They do things you don't understand. They do things that are unpredictable. Like you want them to do one thing and you think they're going to do something, but then they just fool you and they do something else. Because people do people kind of things. And so working with and having a relationship with people is a messy business. And by its very nature, it is not something that you can easily structure. And so it's dynamic. Some people don't like that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had a structure. It's like, this is the way things are. That's it. You don't ask questions about it. You don't need to ask me about it. It's written down. This is how we do things. And that is the very end of the story. You can do this. You can't do that. You will do this. You won't do that. And if you deviate from any of these rules... You're bad. Because we're good. And so they had determined they were good. And all them sinners were bad. And that's the way they lived their lives. And all the sinners that they were told were bad. You know, because the Pharisees told them, we're bad. Well, then they lived their whole lives striving to try and do something. And try and perform something. And try to make something happen that no one, no one, no one has ever been able to do. Except for Jesus. Just some people are better at pretending. And hiding their real life. So we started a church here. It came out of a campus ministry uh, that was at Syracuse University. A chaplaincy. I was a chaplain. And so we were like, all right, well, let's start a church because we had people coming that weren't in school anymore. We had some families starting to come. And when school would go on break, they'd lock up Hendricks Chapel. I had a key, but we couldn't go in there as a group. And so then we were renting space like at the American Legion on Dell or we had a church out on Rockefeller Church out on uh, Nottingham that we were renting for a while and stuff just so we can meet during breaks. And so we're like, all right, well, why don't we just do the church thing? I never wanted to start a church. Because that kind of that, that parachurch stuff, the, the ministry stuff, the chaplaincy, the campus ministry stuff, I love that. We know people for what? Four years, two and a half years, average student lifespan, then they leave. Good, bye. All right, so now start fresh and let's get it going. All right, now that sounds mean, right? Yeah. Because people and relationships over time get messier. Right? Right. Well, here we are. And so we made a decision like, so we're not going to be fake. How are we not going to be fake? Everything I just told you. That's how you don't do it. 
So you don't create, you have to create an atmosphere where people don't feel like they have to pretend. You don't create an atmosphere where people feel like they have to perform. You don't create an atmosphere where people feel like they have to hide. You, you, you look for an atmosphere where people can just be themselves. And that's easier said than done. And I, I tell you that. I tell you flat out, it's easier said than done to, cre- to, to create that kind of an atmosphere where people don't feel like they have to pretend. Because, I mean, it is, it is so put into us about how you're supposed to act. You like that word act? Because it's so appropriate. How you're supposed to act. How you're supposed to look. How you're supposed to talk. How you're supposed to be. And so for the first five years or so, it'd be like people were like, how in the world are they doing this thing where they're located? People wanted to know. We have people visiting our church, pastors visiting our church, people coming in from all over the place, visiting our church, trying to figure out how we were doing this. Until they got here and got completely disgusted by what we were doing, judged me, and then left. And that's exactly what happened. Because what was going to require to create what they were looking for was going to involve their reputation, was going to involve their pride, and was going to involve them learning something and seeing something in a whole different way. And people are really, really, really resistant to doing that. It's just the way it is. I mean, people are willing to change what they call things. People are willing to change the way things sound. They're willing to use different words. They're willing to do a lot of things. But are they really willing to change, fundamentally change, what they think, and what they believe. Now that is a hard question. And the answer I keep coming up with, and I've been coming up with 30 years, is no, not really. Some people will, but a lot of people won't. As you look at this passage here, in this passage, Jesus, he, he speaks to this guy. And, and he, he talks to him about a couple of different things. But he recognizes in this scribe, he recognizes he's really close. He's, he's that close. How close? That close. And how, why was he that close? Well, he had a certain understanding. He did. He had a certain understanding of what was happening. And part of that understanding was that what's going on inside matters more than what's going on, on the outside. In other words, what's happening in his heart. What's happening on the inside of him is the thing that if it's real and and if it's the power of God and if he is allowing for that change to take place, that thing that goes on inside of him will produce a real change on the outside. Instead of trying to change behavior, we're going to try to change the heart. And let's let Jesus begin to change the heart. And as the heart changes, behavior will change. As the spirit grows, behavior will change. As people begin to respond to God and healing comes, then then that behavior and those things on the outside will begin to change. His will. But it's not instantaneous. And so you're dealing with people and you're waiting for change. And there'll be some things that'll change right away. It's like, okay, God's working on them. He's got them. They're, They're... They're beginning to follow after. They're beginning to to come into a place of hearing God and doing what God tells them to do. They're beginning to come into a place where they're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts. They're beginning to come to a place where they're recognizing certain things in their lives they need to to really get some healing on and some forgiveness on and, and really get some freedom on. And so there's some deliverance happening and there's some repentance going on and there's some real healing happening inside of people. And as those things take place, we look at that and we're like, well, we want change now. But that's not how it happens. Change occurs over time, and it occurs in God's timing. And so so somebody, somebody has to be patient enough to wait it out. 
But what the real truth of that is, is not just somebody that has to be patient enough to wait it out. Everybody has to be patient enough to wait it out. That's the real truth of it. And so you have to build a body of believers that are willing, willing to wait it out in one another's lives as people choose, I mean, really choose to change and allow for that change to take place in their hearts and in their lives. I mean, you think about like how our understanding, you know, we, we get an understanding and our thoughts get turned to God's will and purpose. All right, well, that's awesome. His requirements. So your thoughts get turned that way. Great. But what does that really mean? Because I, I, I can read the Bible. You can read the Bible. I do read the Bible. I read the whole Bible every year. Now, do you have to do that? Do I say you better do that or else? No. <laughs> do you want to read the whole Bible every year? I don't know. That's between you and God. That's whatever you're going to do. I'm just telling you that's something I do. No pressure. No judgment. I don't care if you read the whole Bible every year. All I'm saying is you can read the whole Bible every year. And so you can read about God's will for his people generically. You can read about his requirements generically for people and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And there has been scholars, there have been scholars that have done that for years. People that have devoted themselves to understanding the scriptures, understanding the original languages, understanding the history behind the scriptures understanding all of those things, being able to put together and piece together an interpretation of a piece of scripture based on all of those facts and still miss what God wants to do in their heart and in their life. That can happen, and it does happen all the time. Because understanding it isn't enough. The scribes, the Pharisees, they understood the scriptures. They understood it. That, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't that they were ignorant. It wasn't that they hadn't been taught. It wasn't that they didn't understand how to read it. They didn't understand the history. They understood all of those things. They're perfect examples of what I'm talking about. But there was something missing out of whatever it is that, that comes into us, that our heart, our life, the application of the Holy Spirit into us and makes it a part of us to see any real change. Because they didn't see any real change. They just went about their religious business. Well, you can do this. You can't do that. You're sinners. I'm good. You're bad. That's the game. That's the game. And so they just played the game for generation after generation. You think about learning, it, it speaks of an intellectual hold on things. Well, yeah, because you can get the principles behind it. You can get an intellectual hold on principles. But if you can't apply it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm a terrible memorizer. But if I understand something, like if I if I get it somehow, I was just way in school. If I get something, then it's good. But I, I'm terrible at memorizing. I took uh, I took a ton of mathematics when I was in college, and there was a, I remember there was a class I took. It was a class in discrete mathematics and. There were all these foreigners who were supposed to memorize. And I memorized as many as I could. I remember taking an exam and and I I got to a problem and I forgot the formula. Just forgot it. Straight up forgot it. So I made something up. Why? Because I understood it. I forgot the formula, but I made one up, which wasn't the formula, but it turned out I got my paper back. I had the right answer on it. He still marked it off because I forgot the formula. Yeah. But in my mind, in my world, if you understand something, and I mean really understand it, then the formula doesn't matter anymore. Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to get to. It's like something changes. And, and you see it, you understand it, it becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of your base. It becomes a part of the, who you are. And, and even the whole idea of repetition in our lives, I mean, because that's religion. All these things I'm talking about, understanding, learning, repetition, is all part of religion. 
And anybody that ever went to catechism class or went to, you know, like Sunday school or certain types of Sunday school, you kind of understand what I'm saying because they have you memorize stuff all the time. Terrible memorizer. I'm terrible at Sunday school. I'm a bad Sunday school student. But they make you memorize stuff. And, and I see these kids, they do this thing called Bible quiz. We watched a movie on it here one time. And, and they, they do memorize the whole book of the Bible. And so they'll just ask you a chapter and verse, and you got to be able to spit that out right then. I mean, wow, I can never do that. Wow. And I've, I've known people that have done Bible quiz. We've got somebody in the church that's done Bible quiz before. I won't point her out because, but anyway, but it is so impressive in that way. But the idea behind repetition is, is that, yeah, you can have truths that will find a spot in your head, like memorization does, and they'll lie in your head. And, and because they lie in our head, we suppose them to be beliefs, but they're not followed out. They're not really beliefs, they're just things that lie in our heads. There's a difference. It's a difference that, that I can look at something and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I, I, can, I know that one, okay? And that can lie in my head. But do you understand that just because those words lie in my head doesn't mean they mean anything to me. They have to mean something. I have to have something in me that recognizes, but not only recognizes, but it's something deeper that God loves the world. Something deeper that he loves the world so much that he'd sacrifice his own son. Something deeper in me that puts a premium on faith that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can't even get my head around everlasting. But those words would have to mean something to me. They can't just lie in my head. And so the, the idea of the religion is we're going to put all this stuff in you, you're going to memorize it, and you're going to have all this knowledge, and you're going to have all this understanding, this learning, and all this truth in you, and it's bound to take root and bound to do something in your life. Well, that's not guaranteed at all. An anti-example of that would be uh, we have people all over the world and there are certain parts of the world where the scriptures are illegal. And, and people have existed for years on scraps of the scriptures. Maybe a gospel here or a portion of a gospel there. And we had a church that's grown in these places to be not only just a little church, but a church in the millions. How? They don't have the religion. They don't have the, the written scriptures for memorization. They don't have all the learning and history that we have. They don't have all the understanding that we could purport to have. Well, because those aren't really the keys. They may be a part of the puzzle. I don't know. I'm not putting down, I'm not putting down learning or anything else or education at all. I'm just saying there's something bigger going on that Jesus recognizes in this guy that we need to recognize is that there needs to be a change that takes place inside of us somehow. Before we worry about all of those other details and all that other stuff that's out there, boom, you know, out there, like, oh, I got to do this, do that. Before we worry about all those things, something has to take place inside of us. Just has to. If it's really, really, really going to mean anything. You know, if you have a half belief, it leads to no change and no results. It's just a half belief. What do I mean by half belief? I don't know. You define it. You can figure it out. But it's me. It doesn't lead anywhere. I mean, a common foe is kind of that hazy, lazy half belief that we allow to take place in our lives. Why? Because we don't have to change. We love that. Church people love that. They love it. They love it. They love that hazy, lazy, half-belief, yeah, I know what it says, but kind of stuff, and, and just letting it go at that. Well, that's a really, that, that is a foe. 
that we face. And so understanding, learning, repetition, all that stuff, that'll bring you what? Close? Coming to a head knowledge that, well, something's got to change inside of me, and that's more important than what's on the outside, that'll bring you close. Not far. You're not far from the kingdom. If you can, if you can acquiesce to in your brain, okay, something's got to change inside, and it's what matters, what changes inside, more so than what I'm performing on the outside. You're not far away. You're close, but you're not there. And that's what Jesus said to the guy. And that's what we need to recognize about that conversation. Because he had discerned, he had discerned the inwardness of what matters. He got it. Somehow. I mean, it was through his answer. I mean, you think about the answer that Jesus gave. Love God, love your, love each other. That's what he told him. I know that's not a direct quote, but I'm a terrible memorizer. Love God, <laughs> love each other. Okay, that's the idea. And, and so he kind of, he got from that. He's like, yeah, it's what goes on inside of you that really matters. More than the sacrifice and more than the religious stuff. You know, the, I was speaking the other week. It's like love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah, well, that comes from here, doesn't it? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Well, yeah. That's an Old Testament concept. So, so actually doing what God has for you, actually falling after his will, actually falling after what he tells you, that is better than performing religious sacrifices and ceremonies and all the rest of that kind of stuff? Yep, it is. They got it. People understood that at some points within a history, within their circumstance, within what they were doing. People were understanding that. We need to understand that. We look at it as like, well, look right, sound right, be where you're supposed to be, do what you're supposed to do, and that's what matters. It's not what matters. You're better off being right in here and looking wrong, sounding wrong. You're better off. You're better off that, that actually seeing some change inside of you than, than continuing on in some some weird play that goes nowhere. Somebody look at Matthew 5.20. Matthew 5.20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. That had to be so ultimately confusing, right? Because they were the most righteous among them. And so Jesus is telling them, he's like, okay, well, your righteousness has to exceed theirs. Well, there's no way. They were the holy ones. The people Jesus was talking to were the sinners. Everybody knew that. And so he, he was saying something. He's like, yeah, well, you got the wrong definition, right? Because if you're still thinking about it, if you're still thinking about it, that the Pharisees and the scribes are the righteous ones and you're the sinners and you have no hope of ever reaching their level of righteousness, then who would ever have hope of exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Nobody. Nobody. And so therefore you'd have to conclude that what he just told them was impossible, but it wasn't impossible. It just wasn't. And what he was really challenging them toward was changing the way they saw things. Because they've been brought up to see, you know, their actions, the scribes and the Pharisees, do this, don't do that, follow this rule, follow, don't, you know, don't, whatever. Yay and nay. That was it. That was the pinnacle. Tithing on mint and, and whatever else they would do on the tiniest of things. That was the pinnacle. Of righteousness. What Jesus was saying, that's not the pinnacle of righteousness. 
It's not righteousness at all. Not really. And every single person he was speaking to, every peasant, every every non-religious person he was speaking to, he told them, he said, your righteousness, your righteousness has to exceed theirs if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the fact of the matter was, maybe they weren't righteous at all. And if they couldn't get their heads around that, then they weren't going to ever understand what he was saying. Maybe the scribes and Pharisees weren't that righteous. Maybe. Or obviously. And so Jesus began to teach a different way. He's just teaching a different way. In fact, if you look there in Matthew 5, I mean, he is teaching a different way, right? It's a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And he's in in the process of teaching a different way. He's teaching them, and he's saying stuff like, um, hey, if, if you hate your brother in your heart, then you've already committed murder against him. Right? Do you remember that one? Yeah, so that's what he's teaching them. And he's showing them a better way. He's saying, listen, what's going on in your heart is more important than whether or not you're actually picking up a rock and bashing that guy's head in. Because if you hate him in your heart, then you've already committed murder. And then he used the example of a woman. He's like, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed, or, you know, you got to see that married woman, you lust after her heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Because it was what matters was in the heart. And that's what he was teaching them. That's what he was trying to tell them. Is that something has to change in here. Be that one. Something has to be different in here. Be that person. Be that person. Instead of striving after the impossible, instead of striving after being the fakest among us, Instead of striving after looking the best, sounding the best, and and impressing everybody, instead of striving after stuff that doesn't matter, why don't you, why don't you let the Holy Spirit begin to change you from the inside out? Why not? Okay, that's a slow process, right? You're impatient, I understand. You want to see change immediately. We love that. But it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't. Human beings do not change like that most of the time. We don't even change like that physically. You know, I part of what I do is I, I do strength and conditioning at a, a gym. People come in and like, well, I want to get stronger and bigger. I want to lose all this fat. Like, cool. Yeah, well, that's going to take a while. This is going to take a while. Because habits have to change. Lifestyles have to change. There has to be some kind of a dedication toward movement. I mean, there's all these things that are going to have to change. Diet's going to have to change. If you really want to see that. And the process is slow. Yeah, I know. And the process is slow. And so what happens after a couple of weeks of working out? I'm doing my part. And you don't look any different in the mirror. What do people do? Pizza. Yeah, you go out and celebrate <laughs> with pizza, right? I mean, they just quit. They quit. Because it's not instantaneous. And it's not going to be instantaneous. That's just our bodies. That's physical. Now think about what it, cha- it takes to change somebody on the inside. All right? I mean, that, that's just physical discipline. That's just... You know, not eating this, eating that, this movement, not that, whatever. That's just the physical side of it. You see how hard that is, and we want instant gratification on that. Now think about it. Apply that to the inside. God's changing me on the inside. I want to see it right now. Well, it ain't right now. Well, it isn't. And, and I, 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 you may not believe me, but it's harder to change from the inside than it is on the outside. It's harder. And that's why people choose just to modify behavior. 
That's why, you know, like to, to look religious, to pretend. That's why people choose to act a certain way. Because that's easier than actually going through the process of change on the inside. It's easier just to pretend to be something else. And, and it's less messy. And you're less vulnerable. Because we don't like vulnerability. I know that. But that's what's required. You know, they kept trying to trick Jesus so they'd feel better about themselves. They, they're trying to catch him in something so they could dismiss him. That's what they were doing because they wanted to get rid of him. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't, didn't like it. They didn't like the things he was teaching people. They didn't like it at all. And so they just kept trying to trick him. Trick him. If we can just catch him in one of these, then we can not listen to him anymore. And, and I want to encourage you that we don't really need to trick Jesus to feel better about ourselves. Just ignore him straight up. If that's what you want to do. You've heard me say this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you're not in it to change, to grow, to become, I can't figure out why you're here. And that's the honest truth. If I wasn't in it to see something happen in my life over time, if I wasn't in it to get closer to Jesus, if I wasn't in it to actually see change in me and be more like him, I wouldn't be here. I got better things to do. I do. Like football or something. I mean, <laughs> something important. So, so, so what I'm getting at is that, I mean, it's like, why? Why bother? Why bother with the, the pretend? Why bother with the facade? Why bother with the hypocrisy? Why bother with any of that stuff? It's such a waste of time. When there's a reality... That Jesus actually, really, truly, from his heart, wants to see you change. And all he's, he's looking, just looking for you to invite him in. You know, the only thing that stands in between you and the kingdom is you. The reason that sat, the reason that scribe was near the kingdom, the reason was in him. The gospel offers immediate entrance into the kingdom, but only the king can bestow it. And he's willing to bestow it to anyone who will. So who doesn't enter the kingdom? People who don't want to. And so it comes down to your choice. It comes down to, do you want to? Jesus, he's, he's already done what's necessary for you to enter in. He's got enough righteousness for all of us. It, however you're going to define righteousness. Righteousness simply means in right standing. And you can't make yourself in right standing. He makes you in right standing. If you're willing to accept that. He wants you to change. If you're willing to allow for that process in your life. He gives the means by which it can happen. He shows us the means by which it can happen. But it requires us to give ourselves over to it. And that's always our choice. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He doesn't make you do anything. But he offers. He offers. And so he's offering tonight, just as he always does. Offering opportunity, offering uh, the chance to, offering the, the means by which, offering the power to see it happen. He's offering. But it comes down to us, like it always does. What do we really want? The kingdom is near all of us. The kingdom is near the heathen. The kingdom is near the infidel. The kingdom is near all of us. All of us. And it comes down to an individual decision. I know we want to be special, but it is a universal offer. <laughs> that he, he sends out. And so if you're feeling really good about yourself, it's for you. And if you're feeling really bad about yourself, 
It's for you. It's still for you. It's for all of us. And so he just wants to, I believe, give us opportunity to see some actual change. Now, some of us may feel like we got stag, you know, we're just a little stagnant. Okay. Happens sometimes. You know, hazy, lazy. That kind of makes sense. Because that's a big foe to this, to change. It's just being hazy and lazy. And storing up some faith and letting it sit dormant. And so maybe things have stagnated a little bit. It doesn't have to stay that way. Maybe it is that we need to take hold of an opportunity when it arises, like right now. Because I tell you, obstacles, they increase sometimes. Impressions, sometimes they have to be resisted. Because we get certain impressions of certain things and we have to resist those things. And, and I mean, they're, they're harder to be made again if we resist them. Convictions that we have that are unacted on, they kind of leave, they die. A truth that we don't follow when we receive it fades. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I mean, that's why we have response time at the end of service. Do something about it. You get something, do something about it. That's why we have response time at the end of Bible study. You get something, do something about it. Because if you don't act on it, you don't do something about it, it begins to fade, it begins to die, it just leaves. It's a good moment to act in the moment. I'm a big believer in that. Some of the major changes in my life took place because I acted in a moment. Just did it. Made my decision and did it. And so I want to encourage you toward that. We're going to take a few moments right now and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And I just want to encourage you to respond to whatever God's speaking to you. I don't know why he's speaking to you. I mean, I don't. I don't know what part of this rambling, semi-coherent teaching spoke to you. But I know something probably did. Something probably did. And so I want to encourage you to act on that inside. Act on that in your spirit. Act on that truth. Act on that conviction. And see what God will do. Because he wants to change us. If you're stuck, re-engage. Just re-engage. Don't be satisfied with truths laying around in you. Who cares? But there needs to be something living, some living process taking place in us. That we engage, that we agree with, and that we grow in. Just take a moment right now. I'll close this in prayer, but I want you to take a moment and and just respond to what God's speaking to you. Engage that thing. Engage it. It might it might be that you need to to change directions, to kind of turn and, and go a different direction. That's what repentance is when you recognize, I'm on the wrong way here. I need to turn and engage some truth. I need to turn and engage some life. I need to turn and engage something more than just sitting around in this dormant place. So maybe you need to repent tonight. Maybe. For some of you, it might be a step back to see where you came from and see what change looks like in your life. I was this way, and now I'm 
this way. You're not perfect, but you ain't there anymore where you came from. And it's important to recognize that sometimes the process is so slow that if you don't step back every now and then, you're missing it. Because perspective is important. And let take that moment and gain a little perspective. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you in your wisdom from the very beginning you knew that the way you created us we weren't made to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you it was forbidden and it was our sin and our willfulness that we ate of that tree I pray God that we'd find peace and rest in your purposes and will for our life. And that, God, we would really lay down the sin of trying to judge this and judge that and figure this out and figure that out. We're really resting you. God, I thank you that you have created in us and are creating in us hearts of flesh to respond to you to live with you, to have fellowship with you, to share life with you. And I pray, God, that somehow, some way, that that would just be enough for all of us. Yeah. So, God, I pray that we would take hold of your life. We take hold of the work of your Holy Spirit in us. We would embrace the work of change that you're bringing about in and through our lives. We ask God that in us you'd be glorified and that we would allow for whatever time that takes, 
whatever effort that takes. And we'd find ourselves at rest and at peace with you. Have your way, God. Before we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.